The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in Fast, Carvana crash. Shares tumbling another 35% as bankruptcy fears grow. The stock now down 98% this year. What other pandemic high flyers could be stalling out and headed toward the scrap heap? Plus, turbulence for travel stocks. A couple downgrades for the sector taking down everything from airlines to Airbnb. Is this another sign that consumer spending is running out of steam? And later, Berlin boom. One of our traders back in September said it was time to bet on Germany. Well, Raise a sign of Hofbrau and throw on your lederhosen. Oh, nice. Germany is best of the S&P 500 big time, so it's the time to say Auf Wiedersehen. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Good I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feiderman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami is out there smirking. And we start off uh, with another deep drop in shares of Carvana. Stock in the used car dealer plunging as much as 47% at its lows, clocking in its worst day on record. It closed the session under $4 a share. It was $240 at the start of the year. The move comes as speculation grows that Carvana is headed towards bankruptcy. The company's largest creditors reportedly pledging to work together in any debt restructuring. So what does Carvana tell us about some of these one-time high flyers? And let's be clear, we've, we've been on this Carvana story for a long time, all the way down, Karen, and the debt had been signaling this, right. as yeah, you had we, pointed out. We talk a lot about the debt investors being so much smarter than the equity investors. And if we go back, I don't know, a month or two ago, and well before that, I mean, the debt was trading at levels that absolutely did not represent debt that was going to be fine. They represented it, it was going under and just it would be a question of when. And so I don't know if it's going to be very soon. Um, it sort of seems that way. That creditor deal, we're like, OK, we're going to work together. It has to be in some sort of restructuring. Right. So that's clearly a bad sign. Interesting that a stock that's down. 96% can go down 40% in one day. That's sort of a mathematical oddity, but it could continue to do that. Exactly. Yes, forever, theoretically. But, um, I mean, I, I don't know if this end up becoming a meme stock. I doubt it. There's no way that I would go long this stock. I think that uh, they're going to have to restructure. Just look at the burn there. You, they can't sustain the burn. I think memedy, if that is a word. No. It is sure now. Sure, it is not a word. <laughs> Maybe it will it's be just, now, yeah. It's not really that possible these days with... Um, money that is not free anymore, but 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 we saw meme stocks that looked more dire than this, and I, I know sure, I know yeah. the, the the fundamentals in the used car market are kind of telling you what's going on, and this is part of the reason why I think you've got creditors coming together. I mean, the signs here are not good. It doesn't show for a near-term turnaround. What's interesting here is they don't really have major maturities due until 2025. So to the extent that you have uh, a a group of creditors coming together and and negotiating as a group, also to make sure that Carvana doesn't have preferential terms with a group of smaller investors or these 
these people over here. In other words, the point is this is it's not a unique situation, but it's a situation that we haven't seen necessarily in some of these other meme stories where you actually have a concentrated group of investor of, of debt holders who can actually negotiate as a group uh, and do it well in advance. I, I don't. From, from what I'm seeing and what I'm seeing in terms of the liquidity profile until the end of 2023, I don't think Chapter 11 is necessarily on the table right here and now. Basically. Well, uh, can I, I have a question here? How unusual is, is it for a group of creditors to work together? Like it's, It seems to me to be unusual, but maybe yeah. I just haven't been looking at these sorts of stories in the past. Well, I don't know. There's been some, some very... Um, I don't know what the right word is. Not cool maneuvering among various debt holders to mm -hmm. strip other debt holders of assets. And so we, we saw it a couple of times. And I think all parties want to say, all right, we don't want to be on the wrong end of that. If we move together. In the wrong together, group of yes, creditors. Where you uh -huh. really, yeah, where you really get screwed. I think maybe that's sort of what's going on here. I understand the maturity's not there, but they do own interest and they're going to run out of money. Oh, the interest. I think before, I mean, the business. Yeah, from an operational perspective, yes. again, I, I, I think you know, some of the analysis I've looked at says they could probably stumble through between cash and, and credit uh, facilities through the end of 23. Um, I, I, again, to me, this is an opportunity for people who at least have a better negotiation position. And creditors, as Karen said, first of all, the debt guys are not only smart, but they have all the leverage in terms of the capital stacks. They can do whatever they want to the equity shareholders. And I think we have to, we have to reiterate that to the folks watching today yeah. because, in fact, you know, the equity at some point is not in control of its own destiny. Yeah, and it's, it's an expensive option right now. But equity owners should understand they could be buying a zero right now. And you, you were talking about the meme stocks. Mm -hmm. The pandemic is somewhat over, right, and to a large extent. Let's hope people, out of, people are out of their homes. They used to yeah. sit home and trade these stocks all day long. Well, they're also they're not doing their savings now. already. I mean, they have, there are no stimulus right. checks. Things cost money. I mean, more money in terms of inflation. But you don't need to have a car delivered to your house anymore. I mean, you, actually, <laughs> you actually can go to a, a, an a auto dealer. dealer. But as a trader, you sit home and you say, okay, it's down 98%. It's down 48% in the month. Are you going to tell I me wanna... it's a flyer? Are you going to tell me you would go? No, oh, okay. no, I'm saying right. as a trader, that's the Thank bad goodness. side of it is that you think <laughs> I'm going to take a flyer out on this. You turn away and it's a dollar lower again. Yeah. I would avoid it. The bigger question, though, is this was a pandemic, darling. And so you think, are there other stocks that have to reverse that excess, that bubble that they had worked themselves into on the premise of the pandemic, which no longer exists anymore? I mean, is that is that the next logical step here? Yes, I think it is. And um, it's been happening simultaneously in parallel. Mm -hmm. And the first one that comes to mind for me is AMC. We're talking about theaters, not networks. I mean, you know, they they had maneuvered every way possible. Adam yeah. Aaron did a fantastic job of just somehow managing to raise tons of equity, tons of debt, and yet they also have a really big cash burn. The debt, I, have, I think we have one of the, okay, so the five and seven eights that mature in 2026, you see they're trading below 30 cents on the dollar. That's telling you bankruptcy is in the cards here. And he's pulled a rabbit out of every hat. I don't Are there know any more hats. Well, <laughs> to me, the Highcroft mining was one hat too far. Remember yeah. when they did that gold deal because they're right. so good at credit structuring or whatever it was? Uh, that was just absurd. That was like, you know, money that absolutely could have been used to maybe buy back debt 30 cents on the dollar. Th that was ridiculous to me. So I actually, 
I bought some AMC puts mm. just because I think the chance of them running out of money is also high. I'm not shorted. I don't want to be in terms of just being outright short. I did. I was curious how much does it cost to short? Right. 24%, um, kind of high. It wasn't even available at that price, but you could probably get some somewhere. I just think it's going to unravel. This is a different market. That was free money. This is no longer free money. And that price, the debt investors are smarter than the equity investors. They're telling you they're coming for this one. Yeah. Let's bring in BondClick CEO Chris White for a closer look at Carvana's debt issues and who else may find themselves in a debt crunch soon. Um, Chris, we've been saying that, that the debt has been telegraphing Carvana's troubles for some time. What do you think is next for, for this company based on what you see? Yeah, I think I think the debt data around where Carvana's uh, short-term and long-term debt has been basically pushing the company into distress territory. At least that's the opinion of uh, bond investors. This is where I think stock investors and bond investors need to talk to each other a little bit more, because um, a little bit earlier you were talking about you know maybe some of these stocks could become a value where you step in, but it's been pretty clear from Carvana's short-term debt that's maturing in 2025 that debt holders think this is a distressed asset, and so the stock should be continuing to fall as it, as it has been throughout the year. We also uh, talk, Chris, about this notion about these pandemic darlings in particular that had sort of grown, grown, grown to the sky on the premise of the pandemic, and now some of that has to unwind. Are you seeing other Carvana-like companies? And, and I, I say Carvana-like meaning the debt is telegraphing real troubles ahead. Yeah, like I just heard AMC mentioned, mm -hmm. and I think that that's a perfect example of a stock that you're looking at right now. And, and since we're out of the pandemic period, what does AMC look like in terms of its future prospects? Well, we lo we're looking at the short-term debt for AMC right now, and it's trading at 42 cents in the dollar. And what that means is that bond investors feel like it's highly unlikely that within the next three years that AMC is going to be able to pay off that debt because we're at, at stressed levels here. So I think the, those are great indicators for any sort of equity investors as to whether or not they should be stepping in and buying something that's a value. Uh, what the debt is saying right now is AMC is absolutely not a value from a stock perspective. Hey, Chris, it's Tim. How about talking about this particular uh, pact that's been signed amongst the creditors? How, how, in your words or in your view, how unique of a moment is this? It's, it's not particularly, but to the extent that you have the kind of concentration, maybe across different maturities of a group of investors, uh, bondholders that actually can really dictate terms. Maybe at least we know where the debt's trading. We, it certainly implies something, but maybe while they can still be very tactical. Yeah, I think it's obviously very bearish when some of the largest holders of the debt get together and say, hey, let's make sure that we don't sue each other if this company goes into bankruptcy. So that's really what the, the recent uh, news has been regarding Carvana. Um, you know, the last time I was on, we were talking about duration risk. Uh, now we're talking about credit risk, and these are two different types of risks in the market. I think you're going to have more stories like this Carvana, uh, this Carvana situation coming into the market in 2023. And this is really a function of interest rates being you know, lifted up quite quickly. And then these companies that have been borrowing at really, really cheap levels for quite a long amount of time now finding that uh, investors are demanding higher and higher yields, which obviously hurts their cap table and then damages their prospects in terms of future solvency. So, Chris, when you look at companies like AMC or Carvana, people could say, oh, well, they had it coming. I could see that. That was that was going to happen. Is there a risk to companies that we don't see ripe for these type of events transpiring? Yeah, this is where I think that um, we're 
corporate bond pricing has to be a part of the conversation of assessing the long-term health of an issuer. Because if you're, it, what you're looking at there is how the market is handicapping the future prospects. Do I think this company will be able to pay off their debt in two years, three years, 10 years, 20 years? If you really start to see um, in some of these growth stocks, major sell-offs in bonds that are five years and in, I think that's, that's a really, really bearish single, signal on the stock. And I can't see uh, a scenario where the stock recovers before the bonds. Uh, obviously, in this situation with Carvana, um, you know, the, the uh, bondholders are senior to the equity holders, so they already have their knife and fork waiting for Carvana to potentially declare, declare bankruptcy in order to figure out how they're going to be splitting up these assets. So given that the, that the bonds are in this territory and other companies that you might see with their short-term debt in this territory, it's, uh, for me, I feel like it's a stay away from an equity investing standpoint. Yeah, five years and under, rule of thumb. Chris, thank you. Always great to speak with you. Chris White of BondClick. Karen, you look at debt very often. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, when we talk about companies that have a lot of debt, that doesn't necessarily mean that they cannot service that debt. Right. Right. There's a there's a difference. Yeah. So one of the things Tim talked about when they have maturities, that's also important. And sometimes they have availability. They have, you know, loans that they can take out. They can draw on. Um, but when the business is losing so much cash, then it makes it really hard. And I've been short the HYG. It's moved partially a lot on rates, but we haven't seen that credit issue part of it really crack yet. Yeah. Guy Dami. What's up, Melms? <laughs> <laughs> hey. How's that computer behind hey. you turned around? <laughs> so you can't use it. No, no, I mean, I'm Have you noticed that? <laughs> um, no, your thoughts on, your on, thoughts on Carvana and, and what's next? I mean, we talk often about these companies that have heavy debt loads like a cruise lines, and we're not trying to single out any company and saying that they're the next Carvana, not at all. But these are all concerns in a rising interest rate environment. So many of these companies fashion themselves in new technology companies, you know, coming, you know, basically reinventing the wheel. Danny Moses came on this show earlier in the spring when Carvana was $160 and said probably the best short on the board. That proved to be correct each and every day since. But, you know, look at a couple other names. Look at a firm. Look where that stock was trading. Basically, this time last year, throw a chart up of a firm and look at Upstart, too. Upstart was a $400 stock in October of last year. I think it's trading $16 now. I mean, they really haven't reinvented anything. I mean, they're just lending facilities. And if they can't, if they can't sell their loans to Wall Street and they're forced to put them on their balance sheet, they can no longer originate loans. And these loans, their balance sheet deteriorates. And that's what you're seeing right before your very eyes. And, you know, when you think you've reinvented something, the reality is this is just a spin on a very old product. And I think we're seeing it happen here in those names specifically. Yeah. Well, let's get to Blackstone now. CEO Steve Schwartzman speaking out for the first time since the company restricted withdrawals from its $69 billion BREIT fund, B-R-E-I-T fund. We talked about the freezing of redemptions last night on the desk and wondered if this could be a warning sign for the broader real estate market. Blackstone shares this week down 8%, hitting a 52-week low today. Schwartzman today said the idea that there is something going wrong with this product because people are redeeming is conflating completely incorrect assumptions. He went on to say that many of the redemptions requests came from Asia, where he said investors use more leverage. Those investors, he added, were down a lot, needed to raise funds to meet margin calls. Schwartzman stressed today that Breit is performing well with income from its properties rising 13 percent this year. So he came out and directly addressed some of the, I don't want to say panic, but when you see a, a stock like Blackstone 
being driven down so much in a single day even yesterday meaning uh, it is concerning well i thought we were really clear that this yeah. was not about a liquidity crisis mm -hmm. and and a, a you know from from a, from a weakness point from blackstone's perspective it really was uh from an income statement perspective what has been a juggernaut of a product for them and what has been a, a essentially an annuity that has been uh, a gift that's been growing and giving for the last 12 to 15 years one of the things that they're also pointing out in terms of the underlying assets in the fund is that they actually believe uh that the way that these leases the the intrinsic value of the leases are actually significantly higher than when these leases come offline even the, the new mark of the new leases is actually going to be higher and that it, it's money in the okay. bank is how they've explained it and I, I think that's probably right uh, there's no disputing what is going on in the real estate markets and what certainly has been the pressure from the macro that we're not going to get through anytime soon and that what has been probably one of the greatest runs in an asset class led by Blackstone so so I I, I would prefer to focus on the fact that I think liquidity overall out there in terms of distress and whatnot is not really in a bad place liquidity in the biggest, most liquid markets like treasuries, like corporate bonds, it's just, it's totally different than where it was. There is less liquidity out there, and it's not because of necessarily what's going on. It's because that's what's happened after the financial crisis, less balance sheets, less positioning. So um, I, I just, I, I, to me, it's an environment where if I'm Blackstone, where exits and, and some of the hedge fund activity and some of the asset flows are in a very different place and there are headwinds different than tailwinds, that to me is what's going on, even though I think it's, it's, a, it's a tough time. But sometimes when you have redemptions, they're not always for, you could talk your way out of a redemption. And it, could, it could be from a point of strength and then it leads to something else. It leads to something else. And before you know it, it's from a point of weakness. So it doesn't always have to be two plus two is four. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense at all, it didn't make sense to me actually. Ah. If, 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 if you have, <laughs> the food, if you have a liquid, part, I got that. If you have a, that you. was the only I'm thing. You, you. That was the right. only thing you I got. got that. But if you have a redemption, if you have a redemption, it doesn't matter when he said it's not because of the product. If there's redemptions, right. there's yes. redemptions. Period. Yes. I don't have to go further. Right. Than that. Well, Sometimes, yeah. The, the point is that no matter what the reason is, it's still an impact on the stock. Right. On Blackstone, right. the company, it does not want to see maximum five percent redemptions in a quarter. If this continues. This will continue to be a pressure on the stock, which is why you can say, as Stephen Schwartzman, the product is fine, guy, mm -hmm. but the stock can still feel that pressure. Yeah. And I think to Tim's point, we made it pretty clear that we thought at this point the stock sort of was pricing most, if not all, of that in. But, you know, it's a bigger issue as well that we tried to make again last night, maybe incorrectly. But, you know, Blackstone, again, they really levered themselves to the real estate market, being Asian real estate, Asian investors, whatever. I mean, they are tethered to that in a meaningful way. And as Dan pointed out when Joe Zidle was on months ago, I mean, the real estate market looked like it was about to turn. And I think that's what we're seeing manifest before our eyes in terms of the stock, this weakness in real estate, whether justified or not, is having an impact on Blackstone, the stock. Well, one other thing about Blackstone, the stock is sort of, if you're in the, the breach and you want to mm -hmm. get out and they say, all right, you're gated, you sure. can't. And that Those gates, David right. made a big point of saying they have always been there. Yeah. That is not new. Mm -hmm. What would you got to look for liquidity anywhere? Well, what about Blackstone stock, right? If you owned it, yeah. Being sure Blackstone stock even. Right. Oh, if you right. can't get out, but you want to decrease some of that exposure. exposure right. Right. Now, is that what you would do if you were, if yes. you were in Breit or the private credit fund and you want to get out? They said, no, you cannot get out right now. Right. If I want to get out because I think that that trade is over, mm -hmm. right. not because I have a liquidity problem, because sure. that's different. Right. Just but like, if I'm I want to get out, I think the trade's over, then I'm going to short some Blackstone. But I think that's so much more tactical than most folks that own okay. that are ever going to be. I, I think the people that own a product like that, they want 
what's actually a low, a, a low volatility, high yielding right. product, and they're, they're high net worth people that are looking to preserve wealth and have that. Right. The idea, though, that most of the redemptions came from Asian investors who were feeling excruciating pain. I mean, if you look at what did the Hang Seng do over the past been you know, been, year to date, been it's, been, it's been tough. So you can imagine that they're looking for liquidity and they're going to sell some of their gains. But that sort of raises the question, OK, so what else is what else is being sold? under pressure, right? right. right? Where is the liquidity? Right. You go exactly. to what's liquid. Where exactly. do I get some right. liquidity? And, and what else is next? What else has been sold because of the same pressures? Anyway, coming up, travel, trouble inbound. Analysts squashing the travel bug with a slew of downgrades. The headwinds facing that group ahead, plus a bite out of Apple. Morgan Stanley slashing iPhone estimates, and it's taking a toll on the stock again. The problems they see in store for the tech titan. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Trouble for online travel stocks following a downgrade from Wolf for Search. Analysts saying big names like Booking, Expedia, and TripAdvisor face a potential demand decline in 2023 as the economy contracts. That pain felt across the sector. Airlines also taking a hit ahead of the holiday session. So is there more turbulence ahead for these names? Guy, what do you think? Listen, Airbnb, as you know, was the A in my dawn trade. And, and I was feeling great about myself in February, March of last of this year. But you know, part of the premise of that was zero COVID was going to be over. Travel would be robust again here in the States. And those things haven't manifested themselves. And yesterday, Morgan Stanley downgrades Airbnb from $110 down to 80 in terms of price target. And there's really, at least there's no bottom seemingly in sight for a lot of these names. So unfortunately, I don't think you've seen the capitulation yet in a lot of these names. I, I would think that perception's reality. If you tell enough people that things are going to be tough in the next six months, people start to pull back from their spending. So we're starting to see that in the stock price. But I would be a buyer of a nibble on all of these because this is not a forever thing. This is a for now thing. What, what do you mean this is not a forever thing? A well, we're going to travel. We're going to travel again, right? right? So whenever, whenever you bet against the airlines, if you buy a basket of them or the hotels, Usually a year out, you're in pretty good shape. 
Unless you think that there was pull forward on travel uh, during the summer, during the spring when things were lifted and people were still, you know, imp- not that people are not employed. The labor market's very strong, but they, you know, they had jobs and had better spending power. And now things are a little bit different with headlines of layoffs coming. We know that the Fed wants the unemployment rate to be higher. We know that inflation is eroding people's ability to spend. It's a different environment now. It is, but you know, if you think about the hospitality and travel stocks, you know, outside of bookings has traded very well. It always trades at a premium. It trades at almost double the multiple of Expedia. But they never got they never got that that day in the sun. And and if you think about where airlines are still struggling to get back in, and I, I understand Wolf's call on this. It's a macro call. It's also talking about how some of these companies actually during the pandemic their unit economics are getting worse, so the gross margins are going lower. But I don't think they told us anything we don't know. And I look at the, a lot of these stocks, and I think you've priced it in. Delta Airlines has a, a quasi-investor day coming up in, in about a week. And I, I just think the message from some of these airlines, the strong ones, like Delta, will be about, hey, they've got cash in their balance sheet. They're going to be paying down. They're hoping to pay down $15 billion of debt between now and 25. I like airlines. It's been a, it's been a slow trade. but And today was a tough day. The entire sector got sold off. And I, I think you buy that. Speaking of debt, I mean, airlines have a lot of debt in general. Is this they the do. kind of company that we should be worried about in a rising rate environment? Or is all this debt fixed rates and, they, you know, they make enough cash flow to service it, et cetera? I feel like right now they do. Uh-huh. And so it's not it's not sort of the more dire warning. But it's sort of, I mean, we got some very mixed sort of mixed data and mixed sort of outlook among airlines on this network, um, mm-hmm. you know, was it was it Scott Kirby, um, yeah. right, was saying, if I had never heard any of this other stuff, I would think everything's going great. Right. I think JetBlue also. It's interesting to me. I don't know why. Well, I guess Southwest sort of had a, I don't know, they're a little bit of a different carrier. I don't know. I don't own the airlines. I haven't owned them. They've had a nice run before this little past while. Yep. But the debt story always scared me away. All right, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Smartphone slash analysts hacking at iPhone shipment estimates as Chinese production slows. So is this going to take Apple deeper into the red? Plus, pot stocks getting snuffed out today as a push to legalization hits a major snag. So where do these investments go from here? Our resident cannabis king has some answers. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple shares seeing red this month, dropping over a percent again today. Morgan Stanley cutting its estimates for iPhone shipments by another 3 million units to account for slower production in China. What I thought was interesting is the, while the analyst said that she believed that a lot of these sales would just be brought, you know, sent through to the March quarter, she's leaving March estimates intact just in case, Karen. So in terms of the delayed or denied, right. it sort of opens a door to possible denial of these sales. Right, unless you would have thought the first quarter would have been down, but this would have been the delayed filling mm-hmm. it in. I don't know. It's not great. I mean, the stock has come, you know, had a big run this summer up to 170. 
now back almost all the way to the, the summer lows. I'm long. It's not crazy expensive, but it certainly isn't cheap. We've seen this story before. I feel like this is it's similar news to what we've been hearing for weeks, it, yeah. right? Or the same news. It's I'm not exactly news. sure. Over and over, over again. And, over. Yes. and yet, every time, it right. trades down on the same news. So I'm not sort of chasing the, the news. I'm long. Yeah, that price action doesn't seem good. Right. And, and unfortunately, the technicals of it don't pull in support until $10 or $15 lower in the stock. So if it's going to be rinse and repeat, uh-huh. same headwind stories, you're going to have to wait for technicals to kick in, which is not until you know, a little bit. Yeah. You agree with that guy in terms of the price level? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I don't think it was Katie Huberty that made this call. Not that oh. it matters, but she's clearly been the axe in Morgan Stanley. But with that said, I mean, it's a significant call and it's something we've been talking about. And we, we do play the game. If you didn't know it was Apple, and I told you again, mid single digits EPS growth, mid single digits revenue growth, declining margins, trades at you know, premium to the market. Does that make sense? And the short answer is no. And I think that's what we're seeing manifest itself in front of our very eyes right here. Again, it's not a uh, catastrophic call here in Apple, but Steve's level of probably somewhere between 125 and 130. By the way, the level that Tim's talked about as well, seemingly is in the cards, especially if you think the broader market is due for a test of that 3,400 level. All right. That, and, and I thought it was interesting how Asian shares traded today on news that China's going to relax restrictions even more than had been expected, right? Stocks rallied initially, then that sort of fizzled out because on the other side of it, you worry about infections spiking and there being other lockdowns. And so we're still at a point where Apple is just another lockdown away mm-hmm. from another production disruption at this point. Even though all China this reliance. seems to be good news, you know, opening up also means a potential spike in infections. Yeah, I think the China reliance is a, story, is a part of the story we've talked about. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, this extra three million, six million, whatever it is, I, I think if you went to every major Apple analyst on the street, they've cut anywhere from, from five to 15 million on their iPhone shipments for the December quarter. I, I, I get back to what Guy said. This is all about a multiple to me on this yeah. stock. It's not a question about uh, there's still demand what is it a 40-day lead time people still want this phone whether you delay or deny um, you don't pay 24 times for apple i'd rather own this at 125 or south of that and and real quick uh if if it's a supply chain issue how come they haven't pulled out a lot sooner but they're going to kick it to india and it makes me think the derivative trade is the etf inda india Uh, they're going to gain a lot of this because it's not just apple that's going to be doing this. There's a lot of other corporations that are going to either be bringing it back here or bringing it to another country. And India is probably the one who benefits the most. Moving on, an update to a story we brought you earlier in the week. Pot stocks going up in smoke as Uh Congress tries to... Congress declines to include marijuana reform in a broader defense bill. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell emphasized that he did not support the safe banking regulations. So, Tim, you know, when we talked to you, we were like, well, we've seen this before and it happened. It seems so close and it doesn't happen. And here we are again. We, we <laughs> look, I, the expectation of some type of a safe banking getting jammed into a lame duck session, I think, was always and I, I, I I've been skeptical on this. I was more constructive the other night. And I tell you what, um, that was the information we were getting from Washington. We we're getting from a handful of people. Uh, it's not dead on arrival. Uh, there is the chance to get into an omnibus spending bill before the end of the year. The problem is um, the more you ask for, the less you get. This is a crazy time. And, and, and McConnell's point was, hey, you had two years to get this across the line. And they didn't have two years to get this across the line because it was DOA for him the whole time. The good news for cannabis is that uh, the House composition has changed, but you have Republicans in the House like Nancy Mace who have been out there. I actually think that the House will be a lot more constructive and the Senate now is going to be controlled by Dems. I think a lot of progress has been made, but as I say all the time, you're not investing in cannabis 
economists to be right. playing macro headlines. You're, you're playing growth, you're playing consumption, and the size of this addressable market. Coming up, former Fed Vice Chairman Roger Ferguson joins us to talk liquidity challenges, what you can expect ahead of Fed, the Fed's last meeting for the year. And we're Berlin-bound. Karen is giving us an update on her Germany trade, how that one fared against the broader market. The details of Fast Money Returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. <laughs> well, that's the elephant in the room here that we're going to address. My goodness. <laughs> Apparently, Guy's mic was hot. <laughs> and so that's what you heard. <laughs> this explains, so, since you brought it up. <laughs> oh, we had to. Well, you brought to. it up. We have to. Yeah. Well, Sandy Kinold and I were talking about Giancarlo's contract <laughs> okay. and what I thought about it. And I didn't think Apparently, he's going to be yeah. here for his duration. And I probably used a few colorful words <laughs> in my description of said contract. So I apologize. CRAP is acceptable, he's, I think. He's, yeah. but, he's been know. frustrated. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Yeah. <laughs> now you know what we do in the commercial breaks. Markets closing out the day basically flat. The Dow just barely squeezing out a gain. The S&P down two-tenths of a percent. A sixth straight down day. The tech-heavy Nasdaq faring slightly worse, down about half a percent. But even in the broad market malaise, a couple names able to hit all-time highs. Alta, General Mills, Cigna, all notching records during the session and a huge move in one biotech name. Prometheus Bioscience is surging more than 165% today on promising results from its irritable bowel disease drugs. The stock now a $4 billion company. Karen, you're actually, you're in Ulta. Yes, and I am. You mentioned so that was Prometheus. Nice. I'm not sure where you would. I am not in Prometheus. It's not one yeah. of those. Like, oh, I, I should have owned it. I was never going to own it. I was never <laughs> going to own Prometheus. Good for them. That'll be if if there is something there, and it seems like from the data, it seems to be that would be very helpful to a lot of people. I, you know, it certainly makes you think. All right, who's going to buy them now? Um, somebody. And interestingly, I saw Cedar Sinai owns. 11 percent. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Okay, good for them. That was a big hit today. Yeah. All right, now to two areas of the market flashing warning signs. WTI crude closing at its lowest level since last December. It is now just a couple of dollars away from dropping below $70 a barrel. And rates also on the move lower. The spread between the three-month and 10-year yield, the most inverted it's been in nearly 22 years. For more on what this is signaling, let's turn to former Federal Reserve Vice Chair Roger Ferguson. Roger is also a CNBC contributor. Roger, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Thanks. Nice to be here, Melissa. It, it seems like these two things, these two asset classes are, are telegraphing a recession. Where do you stand on that? Look, I think the asset classes are, in fact, as you say, telegraphing a recession. Um, what's relevant to this is uh, it's not just those markets that are doing that, but there are a number of CEOs who are saying that. I myself have said for a period of time that a recession seems highly likely. Uh, and so I think it's all lining up. With, and the question is, is this going to be a short and shallow recession or maybe one that's a little deeper or maybe last a little longer? Is that a big question mark in your view or do you have a point of view on that in terms of short and shallow or, or deeper? I'm looking at short and shallow because the economy is showing so much momentum going into the economy with job markets still very tight um, that it seems like there's just a lot of forward uh, progress. And that's not a condition for a very, very deep recession unless there's an unexpected shock. Roger, it's Tim. Thank you for joining us. As always, my question to you is on the inflationary impact of the labor market. Uh, I think there are some that believe that the labor numbers are, are 
were inflated. Uh, and that actually the, the job market, at least in terms of some of the pressure here, um, may not be as strong. Can you talk about that? Because uh, some of the GDP numbers we looked at showed that some of the tax receipts were lower, et cetera. Is the labor market cooling faster than maybe the numbers suggest? I don't think the labor market is cooling faster than the numbers suggest. I think what is happening is that we see a very uneven economy. So some sectors that are very interest sensitive, housing most obviously, uh, clearly slowing down quite dramatically. Some sectors that had a big pop um, after the opening after COVID are seeing year over year growth slowing. So I don't think the issue is the labor market um, data being inaccurate in some way or the market cooling faster than we expect. I think it's really just much more that there are many different sectors that are being impacted quite differentially uh, at this stage. Roger, the road to 2%, I think it's going to be somewhat longer than, than the market gives it credit for. I guess my point is everybody's looking for the Fed to pivot or pause. That might be the case, but I think the duration with which they leave rates at these levels might surprise people to the long side. How do you sort of uh, size that up? I agree with you completely. What I find interesting is that uh, Chair Powell has talked about getting rates higher and keeping them there longer, and yet the market still seems to be holding out hope for, for you know, a pivot. Um, and so I think there is a disconnect. It's been going on for some time. The next meeting will tell us uh, quite a bit, I think, and there will be a press conference. So first we will see at the next meeting whether or not the so-called dot plots, the, uh, the, the summary of economic projections, uh, show the terminal rate that's uh, significantly higher, only slightly higher than the last one. And then we'll hear in the press conference, I think, a reiteration of an expectation that markets uh, may be uh, underestimating the time that it's going to take for the Fed. Uh, to uh, turn to a pivot, so to speak, or how long it's going to keep rates higher. So I think I'm fully aligned with you. The market, I think, is maybe a little too optimistic about a rapid, rapid pivot here because inflation really does seem to uh, be uh, pretty embedded. Roger, we've got to leave it there. We've got some breaking news. We appreciate your time. Roger Ferguson, uh, former Fed vice chair. We've got breaking news here on the sentencing of former Theranos president Sonny Balwani. Let's get to Scott Cohn, who's at the courthouse in San Jose. Scott. Hi, Melissa. Elizabeth Holmes was, of course, the public face and voice of Theranos, but her mentor and ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, will do more prison time based on the sentence that Judge Edward Davila just handed down, just shy of uh, 13 years in prison for Sonny Balwani. Elizabeth Holmes, remember, last month was sentenced to 11 years, three months. Judge Edward Davila said that uh, Sonny Balwani knew about the fraud, perpetuated it, uh, and, and suggested that it was greed that motivated this. Uh, Balwani's attorneys had argued that he had put nearly $5 million of his own money into the company. He, he lost it all. But the prosecution argued that he only put that money in because he thought he was going to take billions out as a result of this fraud. Balwani has been ordered to report to prison by March 15th. He is virtually certain to appeal. We already know that Elizabeth Holmes is appealing her sentence. She filed formal notice of that last week. But again, Sonny Balwani uh, sentenced to 13 years in prison, the restitution yet to be determined. Melissa? Scott, thank you. Scott Cohn outside the courthouse in San Jose. Um, getting back to Roger Ferguson just briefly here, I think I, the last question you asked in terms of the notion of of the market believing that there will be an actual pivot, that after we get to this rate, terminal rate, that there will be a reversal somehow. We have not factored in that idea that the rate can stay high for a very long time. And what is the impact of that rate staying higher as opposed to reversing? 
And that's the lag effect that I think the market's trying to deal with now. I think, again, I'm, I'm happy he agreed with me, obviously, um, but I think the market's slowly coming to the realization that, you know what, they might pause. We have clearly seen in terms of CPI the peak number, but the persistence and the peskiness of inflation is here for a while. And a pause doesn't mean a pivot. And I think that's a really important distinction. And I think all through 23, we could see a year of elevated rates and slower results on the back of it in terms of equities, in terms of earnings, and in terms of revenue growth. And I think that's what people have to come to grips with. Once the yield curve inverted, it was you knew there was going to be a recession. You just didn't know what timing and how long it was going to last. The Fed is notorious for acting slow and staying too long. They could turn a shallow into a much deeper recession. Coming up, Lululemon shares stretching all over the place this ah, year. <laughs> but will earnings tomorrow help shares reach nirvana? We will dive into the options pits for more on that. But first, guten trade. <laughs> German's not my forte. Uh, Karen's got an update on her Germany call. Just how is that trade holding up? We're furling the details for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> God. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. A few months back, Karen looked overseas for opportunity and found it in Germany. And since then, her EWG trade has climbed nearly 16 percent, while the broader U.S. market is still negative. What do you do here, Karen? I sell, actually. And I thank you for bringing that up today. One, because it's nice to remember a good one. But two, because it really made me think, all right, why were you in it? What did you think would happen? It worked. And so I don't want to have sort of inertia take it over and say, oh, hang on to my good ones. When the, what, I, what happened was what I hoped would happen. And it did. And if we look, we have a chart here. What happened with Germany? We had a couple of things that were terrible then that are mm-hmm. a lot less terrible now. We could see energy was obviously a big one. And the valuation just got way, way, way out of whack. So yeah. but thanks for pointing that out. Maybe you'll come to the dark side one day. Be a minute. <laughs> so and we, we actually had a guest a portfolio manager on who was talking about some European ideas. And one of the things that, that I brought up and I think has been another part of this, too, is the currency impact. So when you're investing overseas, there's always a currency impact. It's not so much with developed markets as it is with EM, except for the fact that in the case of the move we'd had between the dollar yeah. and the euro uh, has been such a big move. And some of that is just because of central bank differentials. Uh, and I think despite you know, whatever we're saying about our Fed, um, those have narrowed the dollars pulled back about five and a half percent. I think it can continues to go lower. I think that helps the European story. And I also think that the energy story gets better for Europe over the next few years and food prices. So you think there's more juice in the trade? I do. But I mean, Karen's right to be taking profits on a trade. Also, EWG's outperformed the S&P by 17 percent since October. Yeah. I mean, Karen and I were texting about this earlier and I said that the easy money's probably been made on this one. That in terms of the catalyst and what, we saw, what we've seen, as these guys have pointed out, in terms of the, the huge improvement in inflation, even just that picture has improved vastly over the past month guy and, and you know who knows what it'll be in a month yeah but this goes back to something tim's talked about literally for years on this show the best the the most the most fruitful trades are when things go from really terrible to just bad and i think that's exactly what karen caught here from really terrible to just bad now to her point there could still be some more runway left in this but why bother uh when you've had gains like this so that's just a great trade but again illustrating the point Sometimes when things look the worst, you know, that's when you're hoping you get that from terrible to just bad scenario that Karen just got. Yeah, you know, I think we have to make it through the winter. I think it's a smart idea to sell it. You have to make it through the winter, see what that looks like, because this was about the war, it was about inflation. But if we're going into a recession, 
Europe is probably going to go into a much worse recession than us. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the sale. Let's see how the winter turns out. Coming up, Lululemon earnings on deck. How will this trade work out? We've got the options action next. Stick around. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Pinterest. Catch that full exclusive interview. It's top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, Lululemon shares ticking higher today. The athleisure retailer outperforming the market this year, down just 5%. But options traders are betting on a huge move for the stock when reports earnings after the bell tomorrow. Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly joins us now with the action. Kevin, what'd you see? So heading into today, Lululemon stock was only down about 5% for the year, really outperforming uh, broad-based averages. So you saw about 1.6 times the amount of calls versus puts, which was which is semi bullish. What's interesting is that tomorrow's implied move is around nine percent, and the average move is about two point six four percent for the stock. So it's very big, and we actually saw a trader come in today and make a trade off of that move. They did a straddle, and what they did is they went out and they bought the December three twenty put. And then also bought the 435 call straddle that expires this Friday. And so it cost them about $1.21. So they actually need the stock to move over that 9% move for the shares by Friday close. All right, Kevin, thanks. Kevin Kelly, Kelly Intelligence. Uh, Karen, how are you yes. feeling about Lulu? Well, on long Lulu, I have short good some job. upside calls. That Yeah, it's yeah. been good, but yeah. it's not a huge position because it's so expensive. I mean, I think the numbers will be great. They're priced for great, though. You know, there's, yeah. they're really priced for great. So I love it. But I can't say that, oh, it should be they should get a bigger multiple. Yeah, they've already got a very rich multiple. Yeah. And so. in this environment, Guy, right. how about Lulu? 33 times. Yeah, no, it's had a decent run lately. 33 times next year's numbers. You got to see comps above 20 percent. Here's what concerns me a little bit. We traded up to the April high, seemingly <laughs> failed. That's a bit of a short term double top. But there's no impugning the stock. And a lot of these analysts, especially Telsey Research, have come out pretty bullish in the name recently. So if you have the, wait for it, temerity, I think you stay long in the name into that earnings. very good word. Well, you know guy's very wearing good. Lulu below deck right now. You know he's I wearing I don't want to know what he's wearing below deck. I'll stand up right now. I don't know why you know what he's wearing below deck. That's a whole other kind of show. Okay. We're close. Okay. We went to college um, together. It's right. <laughs> All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. <laughs> Below deck, I love it. McKesson, MCK. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've used that term like ever on Fast Money. Uh, Tim? Look, it's, there's nothing naughty about it. Just no, kind of says what's it, going on. It's below deck. deck. I mean, uh, Walgreens has been way below deck for a long time. It started to break out very cheap. I think they've righted some of the wrongs on distribution. Is anybody going to say anything about Tim and Steve wearing almost the same yeah, outfit? It's about I mean, time. look at yeah, those boxes. Like one to smaller nice. gingham, oh, one yeah, to look bigger gingham. Like my side. It's amazing. Like when you have a good look, you go with it, right, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> right back at you. Steve. Oh, me? Yeah, yeah, that was quick. Bungie, BG. Didn't work the first day I bought it, but now I think it's going to work. And Karen. Yes, I'll say so long, farewell. I'll, I'll be, be the same. Yes, to EWG. Thank <laughs> nice you. Nice job. 
Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.